Well, good morning. If we haven't met yet, uh, my name is Kyle. I'm the lead pastor here at Generations. And one of the things that we just like to everyone to know is that your story matters. And so one of the things that we do, Richard mentioned the Gen card. Uh, we would love for you to fill that out, whether you're a first-time guest or you are, I'm getting the signal. And when we get the bat signal to change the mic because it's squealing a little bit, we just we just roll with that. And so really, it's we can do that because we've gotten to know each other's stories. And we want to build enough trust with you to get to know your story. So whether you're here in the room or whether you're someone watching online, we, we treasure that. We value that because you are valuable to God. And we're all heading in a direction. I've heard it said that a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Now, I like to push buttons a little bit. So I'm like, which direction? Where are you headed? Are you sure you want to go? You know, I've got all these follow-up questions to a nice little succinct saying like that. I, I, maybe, maybe it's the, the scene in Forrest Gump that comes to mind. You know, it's, it's when he is just starting to just, he just runs, and he just runs, and he starts running, and before too long, news crews and people are running alongside him as he goes across country, and he sees all these sights, and all this, this story, and you know, his beard gets long, and it's, and he's just simply running, he's going on this journey, and really when he sets out, there's no particular direction, there's no particular destination. He simply runs. And as he gets to the end of his run, because he hits the West Coast, he hits the beach. And there's this, this moment of like reflection where it's, he's arrived at this destination. And it really wasn't the destination that held all the hoopla that was supposed to be of this magnitude. It was the people. It was the stories. It was the goodness. It was the inspiration along the way that enabled the run, forest run, to be worth it. See, it's the journey along the way, the, the scene for us, that when we have this mindset, that as long as we are oriented towards Jesus and our life is directed towards him, if we, if we get to this place where that is what we're wrapped in, no matter where we end up, how we end up when we get there, there will have been some growth, transformation, and even inspiration to others along the way. It's even, I think this is one of the reasons why Moses when he's on the edge of the promised land, giving his last series of speeches to the Israelite people. 
they're about to enter this place of promise, this destination of importance, this place that God had foretold and was going to be this amazing reality. And Moses is there on the edge giving these series of speeches about God's will and his way, his law. And he even recounts the story which led to them, the journey that led them out of Egypt, out of rescue, to the edge of the promised land. And then they screwed it up, and so they went to the wilderness, and they complained, and God still provided in the midst of all of that. And here they are again on a place of, in some ways, of great anticipation. This is what they were looking for, because they thought if they could just get there, then all would be good. And so Moses gives these series of speeches in Deuteronomy where he talks about God's will and his way and his law. And then there's a section in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where he gives this prayer for the Israelites to repeat, to say, to be inspired by. And it's oriented about God's love. And how that shows up, let me flip to it here to read the full passage. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1, it says this, This is the command, the statutes and ordinances the Lord your God has instructed me to teach you, so that you may follow them in the land you are about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping his statutes and commands I am giving you your son and your grandson, so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them, so that you may prosper and multiply greatly, because Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. And here's the prayer. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. See, the love of the Lord was not just relegated to an individual isolated within time in the confines of their home where no one could see. It was a community effort, a community response to receive the love and the provision that God had and then communicate that through word and deed to others all around. And so these next few weeks, we're continuing this series, Passing Down the Faith, because how faith gets passed down is through word and deed. It's through talking about truths of God, but also living truths of God in the everyday things of life. We, we mentioned last week that more is caught than taught. We both must teach and instruct, but we also have to be received and experienced and be exposed to it. So we're considering how these truths of this passage, loving God, takes effect into our life and then is passed on to people we love and care about in our spheres of influence, particularly the next generation. See, the rhythms by which the word of God is passed on is dynamic through the everyday rhythms of life. It's in the home. It's on the road. 
in the workplace. It's funny because they even said put words in places so that as they lived, they would see and be reminded. Because we're forgetful people. So you've got to put the word of God in places where you will be exposed to it and reminded by it. That's why I say it's a community effort. Because we're forgetful. And we need people to remind each other, even me, hey, your identity is not in what you achieve. It's, it's, it's in Jesus. It's, it's what he has accomplished. You don't need to seek the pleasures of this world, not because God doesn't want us to have good things and enjoy the things that he's provided, but it's we don't need that to feel a sense of peace that surpasses all understanding. We can actually have more joy and more enjoyment because we remember that this doesn't come from what we can earn because it can also then be taken away, but because of what God has given us. So these Israelites went from a place of wandering in the wilderness to a place of promise. And this arrival at this destination was not going to solve the condition of their heart. We fall into that same trap. We think if we just get here, then we'll be good. If we get one more thing or we have one, maybe even more vacation, if I get one more promotion, if I live in this right house, in this right spot, then life will be good. We've believed the lie that if we arrive at a destination, it will solve the problems that existed before our arrival. All the while, what God really wants to do is bless you, but he wants your heart to be in response and aligned with him. So that you're, once you receive or achieve something, that you're not automatically going to pursue what's next. Because you've been able to accept the blessing that's come. Because it's not by your achievement or by what others have done for you or even just what you earned or what you think you deserve. But it's what he has given. So then you have a sense of gratitude and his goodness. And that actually points people in our walks of life, in the everyday things, back to God. That it's him and his provision. And that sounds foreign, and that sounds confusing, because we're, we're conditioned to believe that we should get what we deserve. And what the gospel truth is, is that we've got what we don't deserve, which is an identity and an inheritance by God's initiating rescue. And so Moses has to retell the people of Israel to remember that it's the love of God that initiated rescue. Therefore, now that they're in a place of promise, they can live out of that love. But there are two. So, so we need to have this shift from destination thinking to directional thinking. To continually reposition our life so that we're oriented towards Jesus and heading in that direction. To becoming like him. To see God's will and God's way be more evident in our life. But the church is not immune to this destination thinking. I talked about, you know, some control, some, some pursuit of pleasure. And again, those aren't bad things. But, but even in the way in which we gather and orient, the, the believer can become convinced that the destination thinking is the best way to pass down the faith. Here's what I mean. You have all said things, and I have said things like this, that if I could just get that person to church then life would be good for them. If they would just get to church, 
But the church didn't die on the cross for them. Jesus did. If by get people to church, you're saying introduce them to other people who are learning to follow Jesus well, who are being changed by his power and his presence, and are, and are learning to, to, to orient their life towards God, by all means, introduce people to other Christians. Invite people and include people in our Sunday gatherings because they're going to see a people who aren't perfect but are on the journey of following Jesus. If by what you mean by get people to church is introduce people to Jesus and Jesus' followers who are doing that together, by all means, expose people to the church. But if you mean get per people to it, organize gathering where there's stand up sit down sing songs there's teaching you have missed it because that will not produce change what produces change is the holy spirit the power of god through the belief that jesus came died and rose again that is the truth that changes not the presence of something organized and so what that does is that reframes again why what we do when we gather so when Charles is up here and say, can I get him in? Can I get you excited? What, what the reason we're trying to do in that way is because it's, it's celebration. It's family time. It, it's a time in which we're reminded and redirected back to the truth that we cannot change by our own willpower, but it's the power of God that changes our hearts, that softens our hearts and minds, and we agree with that. And then pursue that together with others. See, Jesus is just as powerful in your neighborhood or at your workplace on Tuesday as he is one hour on Sunday morning. It's the, if we say that the same God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, it means that God is the same here as he is there. And we've got to believe that. So when we say things like we just need to get that person to church, again, our, the gathering. Such a beautiful thing when people bring their gifts together. I love seeing your faces. We get to know stories. We get to celebrate, be reminded, and encouraged. And that's powerful. And it's an alternative community that we want the world to see. But that can be just as true throughout the week. Because the God that we serve is one and loves no matter. And so we got to be careful to believe that a destination mindset will change people. It shows up in another way when we're talking about the next generation as well. And, and my heart honestly hurts to say this as a recovering youth pastor. Because <laughs> I, I had to talk with parents about this all the time, and I had to come to on my own terms with it. The saying goes, if I could just get my kids to youth group, life will be better for them they will be changed, or they will be fixed, or they will love Jesus. The, this assumes that the place where a kid might get it is a group of their peers. But in most cases, you know this, that teenagers are fearful of being different or standing out from their friends. So youth group defined as a gathering won't be their savior either. But what will bring them into, what will help them along their way is intentional mentorship by Parents and adults who love Jesus and are consistent in their belief where they live, work, and play. See, it's a silver bullet mindset that the presence of a person and location will be the solution. 
And then we get angry at God because he doesn't show up in the moment that we manufacture. If I put together this night little package, God, you're supposed to show up here. And then he doesn't because we're trying to manufacture it and we're not responsive to the love of God where God is moving. So hear me when, when I say this. I, again, I don't want to downplay or denigrate the gathering of the church or intentional investment with you. We're talking about a series, passing down the faith. We care about the next generation. But the way in which that comes is through believers prioritizing the things of God in their life and becoming more consistent and communicating that change. In fact, the National Youth Forum did a 20-year study of how people are most effectively passed down the faith. All religions, so this is irrespective of religion, but when they honed it in specifically for Christianity, I've got this nice little chart that I want to throw up. They said that the next generation, they received faith and were stable and emotionally mature, came from three main factors. And then the, it kind of goes down, just to, so you're looking at it, is like, hey, there, there's decrease, steep decline, and what all the breakdown is. So there's a lot of numbers on there. But the main factor is that parents attending a gathering at least once a week, the parents prioritizing, gathering with other believers, the parents' religious faith, modeling that, engaging with God's word, talking about that with others. And then the teens' reports of talking daily about their religion, specifically at home, were the three biggest factors in whether teens receive the faith of their parents. You know what's not on there? YouTube. Youth group. Peers. Those actually had minimal effect on whether teens receive the religious faith of their parents. This should change our mindset of how we gather. We are an equipping group of people to learn to love God well and respond to him. And when that becomes expressed at home, with our kids, with the kids under our influence, with others, that's how faith is passed down. Pretty startling when you start to think of the data and how that is. See, for those that wish to see change in their families for generations to come, that data is not a promise or a guarantee, it is a probability. But one of the best things that you can do is to talk about it in your home to demonstrate a place of change, to expose your kids to your faith in a sincere and honest way, but also make it a priority in your life. And it's hard because it, it starts to change or challenge some of our consumer mindset. And I, I want you to hang with me here for a minute because I gotta be honest, like I'm a product on some level of youth group, of intentional mentorship by my youth minister. But if you start to do an autopsy of my youth group experience and even some of the other people I know who have had youth group or something in their background that we think that's the best way to pass down faith, 
when you start to survey that, what it actually stands out in each and every story is there was an adult that identified something in the child or the teenager, spent time with them, both in an organized and an organic setting. So it means outside of those intentional moments and also what I like to call is on the road, on the go. In fact, here's another organization. I told you as we get into the series, we're going to talk a little bit more, some data and some statistics. Fuller Institute did a massive study on youth ministries over the last 40 years and what was most effective since the 1980s. And then they had, they surveyed this and they said it was actually the probability of kids who stayed in the faith when they went to college their attendance at youth group really didn't help. What helped was what they called as keychain leadership, or I'll phrase it this way, keychain discipleship. Now, this may be a 90s thing, or at least my childhood thing, but you used to walk around with, you put your keys on a keychain and have this big old massive keychain, and so that's why it was, was termed that way. And the thought is that no matter where you go, you have your keys with you. And the person that you're mentoring or discipling is within the reach of the keychain. They're right there in your hip pocket. Wherever you go, when you go serve, when you go golfing, when you go out and run errands, you're including others in the everyday things of life. So that when you bump up against difficulty, when you bump up against challenges, when you hit um, just those rough patches, they're seeing how you react consistent or inconsistent and they're identifying that and what happens is over time what you actually do is as they're there in your hip pocket seeing how you go through things of life you actually can pass on little keys to them so that they can build a keychain of their own so that they when the going gets tough they have principles and priorities and stories for how to respond in those moments. And so when Fuller does this study, what they said is the most successful youth ministries, the most successful churches at passing down the faith had adults and parents who modeled keychain leadership and discipleship, meaning that they talked about the things of faith. They brought their kids along with them as they read their Bible, as they went on their journey, as they served others. Now, this just isn't reserved for youth ministry. In fact, the book of Titus talks about this exact thing, about how faith is passed down as the church as a whole. It talks about how, how um, elderly men are to, to, to be self-controlled and full of wisdom and pass down faith to younger men. How, how older women are to, to, to encourage younger women to, to, to serve and love and be responsive in the everyday things of life. And give some practical examples. How you care for your kids or, or how you serve others. The Bible is full of this type of practical knowledge for what it means to pass on the faith. And we do that not because we're trying to brainwash anybody or convince them. But because we have first received the love of God. And we desire that love to be made manifest and experienced in the everyday things of life going forward. So a shift from destination to direction means things like you're going to read the Bible with others to show them how that happens in the busyness of life. 
how to be hospitable and not in the just in the messiness of life eliminate room for people but you're going to make room for people that you're going to be someone who who makes the same types of comments about people and priorities whether it's in conflict or at church the way you speak about people will change and be consistent and then you're going to provide opportunities for students to choose faith for the people who you love to choose faith. That's what that's going to look like. And what's amazing is our example at the end of the day comes back to Jesus. In John chapter 1, there's this fascinating story as Jesus gets his ministry started. And he's, he's there and he's actually with John the Baptist. And what I'm going to do is, is just read this story. And I just want you to pay attention to what Jesus says in response. In John chapter 1, verse 35, it says this. Again the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked, what are you looking for? And that's such a good question to ask the people in our life, what are you looking for? And then he said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. And it was about 10 in the morning. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him and First found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means anointed one. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him and said, you are Simon, son of John, and you will be called Cephas, which means rock. Then the next day, he decided to leave for Galilee. Jesus found Philip and told him, follow me. But now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets. Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Philip replied, come and see. When Jesus encounters these people, he didn't invite them to a synagogue. He said, come and see. Come and get to know me. He was on the road traveling to a new place. Someone else mimicked exactly what Jesus did. And they said, what, what's changing your life? What's making a difference? You found the Messiah, the one who was supposed to bring change? And the, Philip replied, come and see. We must be people in order to pass down the faith is not get to this place at this time, but people who say, come and see. Come and see Jesus. Come and see the work that he's doing in my life. Come and see in the places where I find myself how he is changing. Come and see means come with me on this journey of following Jesus. So maybe you need to identify someone older or younger to get coffee with, to spend time and read the Bible with. 
Maybe you need to invite a younger person to go serve a neighbor. What's not needed is the creation of new programs. It's in the direction of your life saying, come and see, come with me. And what this starts to do is it starts to help us ask a different set of questions. Because if we're going to invite people into our lives to see the change, that means we must be honestly and sincerely engaged with Jesus. And we can't fake it. Because people will see both the the success and the change, but also the flaws. So questions just to consider today. As you think about what does it mean for us to pass down the faith well, to receive God's love and talk about it in our homes, to write it on the doorpost, to put it on our wrists and on our foreheads, to make it plain to others. The question is this, how, how is the daily direction of my life becoming increasingly aimed at Jesus? Second question, who is close enough to my life to see ongoing engagement with God? We engage with a lot of things. Chances are your friends probably know all your fandoms of all your sports teams. But do they know that you're growing and changing in attachment, increasing in love and attachment with Jesus? We must keep the main thing the main thing. And we need to be, it needs to be evident that we're not about the extra, but we're about the core. The core being who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Question number three, who can I invite to come with me? See, you're only going to have so much room. If Jesus could only handle 12, be careful to think that you can handle more. Maybe it's just one or two. Who can you invite to just come, not here, but with you on your journey of change? And chances are, if this is the community of people that you do life with who are helping you change, of course you're going to introduce them to Generations Church, to a Sunday gathering, to engaging in that way, to serving and loving and giving in powerful ways. And then as you focus on those few, question number four, can I trust Jesus enough to multiply the impact beyond what I can see and touch? See, We always want to do more or achieve more or be the hero to feel good about the difference we've made in someone else's life. Grass withers, the flower fades, the only thing that stands the test of time is the word of the Lord. Your seasons of life may change and you may not be as consistent in someone's life, but if you can expose them and engage them with Jesus and in turn introduce them to the word of God, that can be the most consistent and persistent thing in their life and will serve them way beyond when you have the capacity to. And so direction over destination is going to push back on your comfort because you cannot fake it. Direction over destination will push back on your control because you cannot program it. There's no silver bullet. Direction over destination will push back on your power because you cannot manufacture moments of change. Direction over destination will push back on your desire for approval because most people may never see it or celebrate it. We are people not marked by our need for comfort, control, or power or approval. We are marked by a received identity 
from Jesus. That is the truth that we must live out of. So as Moses, let's bring it back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, is on the precipice of the promised land. As they enter into a place where they're establishing roots and change, they must be reminded of their journey and that the word of God must be communicated and lived. In home, on the go, reminded with people, and plastered everywhere. So there are people marked by the love of God and can live well for him. And thus, pass down the promise and the faith to the next generation. Let me pray for us, and then we'll pray our benediction on the way out. God, may we be people who follow you closely and can invite others on that journey. As we experience change, may we pass that on to others. God, I so desperately want the faith to be passed down to the next generation. But we're trusting you and your goodness to do that. May we orient our lives towards you and trust that as we live for you, that as we just simply live in response to your love, that others see that and we can point them to that. Whether it's our children or an unbelieving friend, people we hold dear. God, would you do the work that only you can do? We need you. We trust you. Thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So what I want to do is pray our benediction together as we close here. And this is a prayer where you're praying for others to receive and now to give. So may we pray this together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Through this reality, may you live your faith every day, everywhere. May God's family expand and grow. May your motivation be because of Jesus living out his story. May you make his ways be known and then live for generations to come. Amen. Have a fabulous week. Say hi to someone on your way out.